Hello, Daniel. Did you enjoy yesterday's game, Manchester United Women 4 in the Conti Cup Group B? No. There was another uh, game on, wasn't there, yesterday? Which was kind of enjoyable, actually. Yeah. The, I don't want to sound a churl, but like the whole this is the best World Cup final ever was did make me think, like, behave. Yeah. Because there was not much quality of which to speak, which doesn't mean you can't have a great game of football. Exciting, but yes, two two flawed teams, I'd say, and uh, flawed teams, and and France, who only decided to play after about eighty minutes, very much yeah. in the Deschamps style of things. Yeah, and it was, it was, I mean, they, I couldn't believe that they were getting outplayed in midfield by Argentina. Who, I mean, I get like, like, like playing Di Maria made, did make a big difference. I, I, a really I'd big actually, difference. I'd yeah. written, I kind of, he redeemed me actually. In that, because I was doing the preview blog and I said that I thought France would have three in midfield and therefore they would control the game because Argentina yep. had been playing 4 4 2. And then, but, but, so that was obviously what did not happen. But then when they played De, De Maria, I gave myself an out and said, maybe they're playing De Maria very narrow. Well, so it, did, he made a big it did get. It did get me thinking, actually. I mean, when we did the the preview of the England-France game, I think we came to the conclusion that it would be Foden and Saka in wide areas and kind of understand game intelligence and technical quality, why that had happened. But didn't half make me think, what if we'd given Marcus Rashford more than like five minutes to have a go at Jules Koundé? Would that have made a difference to to how England were able to play and how England were able to play? Because what Argentina did is they played with space as well. I mean, obviously, Leo Messi needs everything to feet because he can't run and doesn't run anymore. He runs like, do you remember Orko? Do you remember Orko from He-Man? Yes, right. That's who Messi reminds me of. Like, just the shape of him and the way he kind of hovers is is, is very Orko. But anyway, I mean, obviously, it's it's kind of, pointless discussion but I, I do wonder like France was so vulnerable to the ball being played into space and Di Maria in particular that didn't half get me thinking about that but it, Ma- like the whole pattern of the the World Cup final surprised me to be honest I didn't think Argentina would start that intensely he was they really did he's a he was a massive missed opportunity Di Maria I know it's kind of fashionable to say he's a weir, he's weak and he's a wimp and he didn't want to be in Manchester and all the rest of it and he didn't want to be in Manchester but he was good until Van Gaal made it impossible for him to be good <laughs> on fucking purpose. I, he's also a rat-faced bastard, isn't he? When you we know, got Di Maria, when we got him, and he was he was basically two players in one. He was a guy playing on the left of a midfield three. He was also yep. playing on the left wing. He was so yep. quick and so fit. And well, I immediately thought there. when he arrived at United, like his first game, I was like, oh, he's the best player in the team. Obviously. It was a Burnley I mean, the away. quality was just so high. Burnley away, and he just did a couple of the nice passes yeah. through balls. And, I remember, and, and then the next, and then there was eventually, obviously, there was that Leicester game. But between them, he was playing. He was playing on the left of the diamond. Yeah, and that was that was great. And then obviously we got we lost that Leicester game. Van Gaal lost his balls. Absolutely and, shit the bed. Van Gaal did after. And that. then yep. it just became the most miserable football that anyone's ever seen. And he was too scared not to play Dean Maria basically up play him up front like he'd done with Robin in the World Cup when Holland were crap and yep. Van Gaal's tactic, defensive tactics. I mean, he he got them to that semi-final. You can't say that he didn't. But it just, if I thought when he came to United, it would be, he realised it was, I thought he was just being practical in the World Cup. But it turned out that he'd had some kind of negative epiphany. Yeah, and, and Di Maria's never forgiven 
either Manchester, the city, United, the football club, or Van Hal, the manager, ever since. I did think he might dedicate his winner's medal to Louis Van Hal. He, he, but, I don't think he did. <laughs> but he was, Di Maria, Di Maria was a brilliant player. And yeah. he is easily, apart from Bruno, and like, until this summer, who we easily the best player signed post Fergie. And it was much more our fault that it didn't work than his fault that it didn't work. I, I, would look, say. I think I think that's undoubtedly true. And he look, he was he was great against France. That direct running, it just completely changed the game. I think it surprised Deschamps. He took him a while to react to it. Well, I mean, they're just a classic team who are good in spite of rather than because of their manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and at, at, for a while in in that first half. I know, France was so ponderous. Yeah, I did wonder like, whether this virus, that, the English virus, they blamed it on England. This was England's final revenge, wasn't it? You know, coughing <laughs> all over them. And whether that was actually impacted. But the fact that they were able to like turn up the dial late into the game, when as soon as they got that goal, I mean, as soon as they got the, the penalty, soft penalty, but as soon as they got that and got one back, suddenly France were alive again. Both the penalties so that were just, given away. just wonder what the hell happened before that. <laughs> Both the penalties that were given away were just real, like just you're watching it and you've got your head in your hands. Oh, like, have you just done something so stupid that you're going to regret for the rest of your um, life? Otamendi's always been done, though, as a defender. Always been done. It's so... so I, you feel so stupid when you say it because you feel like your biases are so ingrained and obvious that when you express them as what you think is a sensible, informed opinion, you sound like a clown. But the idea that you could have Otamendi, Martinez and Romero available to you and you would pick two of them and Martinez wouldn't be one. Wouldn't be in there. I know. It's absolutely, it's absolutely mind-boggling. Otamendi, as you say, Otamendi has always been crap. And Romero, Romero has the potential, has the raw materials to be yeah. absolutely brilliant. But he's wild at this point. He's extremely wild. And the thing that's stopping him being brilliant is the wildness. Mm-hmm. And he may or may not stop being wild. He, we don't know. But the idea that you'd pick those two and not Martinez, and I don't like to, as I said, I'm sure I get so much aggravation on the internet if I express that opinion. But, but it's true. I, I mean, it's mind-boggling, and and clearly we, uh, we are club biased, but I can't rationalise it at all. Anyway, scaloni has got almost everything right in this World Cup. He's managed to create. So, well, eventually he did. I think they took a little while to work out that they need some of the younger players because McAllister and Enzo Fernandez didn't start that first game. The desperation and then he of the British in, media to yeah. make out that McAllister is this fantastic midfield player because he plays for Brighton. I'm not he, saying he's, he's a classic rubbish, water carrier, but he does but do the running. He doesn't he's yeah. doing a job he's doing a job in that team that's helping make the team work. But the yep. idea that he's this like yeah they, they, they I felt that there was an incredible amount of enthusiasm on UK television for McAllister during this competition right. that was beyond his contribution. But yeah, Enzo Fernandez, on the other hand, is a brilliant yeah, player. He does a good player. He's yeah. going to be really good, and he's going to go for some he mega has, money. He's somewhere. one of those guys who looks like he's gone into the tattoo shop and said, "Hi, please, can I have some tattoos?" <laughs> <laughs> rather, rather than yeah, it's just extremely, extremely haphazard. But yeah, he 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 is he is a good player, and he's apparently someone else who Uncle Ralph wanted to buy. Interesting. In, uh, Uncle alongside... Ralph had some good ideas sometimes, not applied very well at any point. So. 
the worst, some of the worst shit that's ever been served up in the history of association football was served up by him, which I don't massively blame him for. And yet, how can you not blame him massively? Uh, incredible dysfunction. Just amazing that a club would would do that to itself. As Cristiano Ronaldo said, now unattached Cristiano Ronaldo appears to be unattached to club or country at the moment. He's not even a coach, which is about right. How to Portugal Although he's manage currently the manager up. of Austria. It's, I, I tell you what I enjoyed about the World Cup final was the photo of Martinez and Varane at the end. Yeah. Where I feel like Martinez Having a bit... is, yeah, you better get fucking back to Manchester. Don't be leaving me with Maguire and Lindelof. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you the reinvention of Maguire. I know we're talking about the World Cup, but you know, hey, let's, let's divert for a while. The reinvention of Maguire was, has been fun to, to watch and this kind of idea, and I, I'm, I'm being unfair in like, kind of summarising their narrative. But somehow it's like Manchester United, are too dumb to understand what they have with Maguire. Look at how good he was for England. Surely he can now bring that back to, to United. And, and Eric Ten Hag said something similar. I hope he brings back his confidence. I mean, I think he was a bit more nuanced. But the problem is, I just, I don't, I don't think you can square the circle. International football is completely different from club football. It's diverged over the last 10 years, particularly. And England... And the way England play is completely different to the way Eric Ten Hag wants to play. In and fairness, I just don't think those two things map together very well. Yeah, I'd say in mm. fairness, the way that Southgate was playing this time, like the like if I was an England fan, I would have been quite happy to have seen Southgate go after the Euros because I felt that watching it, that he was quite a lot of the reason why they didn't beat Italy and why they were crap basically through the in almost all the games when they didn't need yep. to be. I thought that was a lot to do with him. But I felt the reason why I would say now, I think it's fair enough that he stays, is because there were quite, I thought there were some quite significant steps forward in this competition. This was the but first the biggest time, one was Bellingham, which allowed England which to allowed them to, yeah, in midfield. Yeah. yeah, which allowed them to try and try and dominate games against good teams. And they haven't even really tried to do that before. And losing 2-1 to France when you're captain to add penalty over the bar and, and, and with less than 10 minutes to go, that doesn't seem... I wouldn't watch that and say that was massively your manager's fault just on the facts of it. You could obviously say he could have gone earlier with the subs, and you said it just before, bringing it back to sure. that. He should have brought Rashford on, I agree. I can see why he acted later than Deschamps because Deschamps had to act because England were better in the game. And you could say that a good manager feels the game so he acts. So he, but I didn't feel that that like if you're if you're on top, you don't need to change stuff. He shouldn't have taken Saka off. That was a mistake. And he brought Rashford on. Yeah, today. I mean, I guess guess since we're at the conclusion of the World Cup, I find it hard to get out of my own biases about Southgate. You know, I have a view of what I think he is as a manager and how he behaves, and most of the time he reinforces that. And like for sure, I think you're right. England were more attacking in this tournament than they have been at any other time. And most of that is down to to Bellingham being in the side and and being just more progressive with the ball, mostly running, but some some of the passing no, as well. It's, it's important but, because if you wanna yeah. if you wanna play if you wanna play like a pivot, like a single bloke in front of the back four, and then two ahead of him, they need to be athletes. Really, his ability right. to do that means that you can then yeah, you can have him and Rice, who are just both absolutely monstrous, colossal athletes. Yeah, well, that's right. And and then the, the other thing that I, I can't let go of yet is is Southgate's ability to influence games during games. And I think time and time again, and especially in the big yeah. the big games, he has lost out to managers who are able to do that. And, and bringing it back to the World Cup final, I mean, 
Deschamps seems to be cut from the same cloth most of the time. He's very, very cautious as a manager. He's obviously fantastically successful, sort of. World Cup winner, World Cup finalist. They should have won. The yeah, yeah. They made they made an yeah. absolute balls up. Like this, they're not necessarily yeah. the best team at the World Cup. They made a massive balls up in the Euros. They should they should still have been the sure. best team around. They should have. They won should have the been. But but one thing he does do is is react during games. And uh, oh my gosh, taking off Giroud and Dembele like that was extremely funny. Brutal. Oh, my it gosh. was very funny and absolutely brutal. Because also, mean... what 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 did he expect to change either way? So I could see why you'd make a change at thirty five minutes, but it just it didn't look like anything was going to happen. That you, that it didn't no, look... and it, and it still took a while. But what he did have was then then in central areas and two just really quick runners, and so just they changed completely the pattern of how they were trying. They almost matched up to what Argentina. Yeah, it was, was just doing odd that he did it. He did it with like forty one minutes gone or something. I know. He made those timing, change. yeah. That felt yeah. like you could have waited to half time and not massively shame them. Have they pissed you off in some way? It's because to want to do that it just didn't seem like it was going to have an impact on the game doing it at 41 or whatever it was not 45 yeah yeah i mean it was it was fun watching as a neutral so i probably did you did you want messi to win or lose or, yeah or kind ambivalent? of I, I i think on balance i wanted messi to win i mean he, it's not like he needs more stuff or he needs this in order to confirm his status as being one of the greats of the game or anything like that i don't think that that argument holds much water. But yeah, on balance, I preferred Argentina to win than France and and Messi. At least he's like, not not to make the horrible comparison that everyone makes, of course, with Cristiano Ronaldo, but he just doesn't seem like a massive twat, which is he's like a, got, a he's, big benefit. He's quite involved with Saudi. That... That in is a way different. That I mean, personality-wise, yeah, in a way yes. that might make you say that he's taken 125 million dollars. Well, from Messi's an interesting Saudi character in that partner. Yeah, he's an interesting character because he seems so uninteresting. As yeah. it, like I don't feel a way about Messi at all. He's a brilliant footballer, and in terms of longevity, like sustained over and over again without any break, longevity of brilliant, brilliant performances. Yep. He's miles ahead of anyone who's ever played the game as far as definitely yeah. in my lifetime and probably ever. I mean, Di Stefano, I didn't see Di Stefano, but maybe him. But the constant numbers, and then then you before you even factor in where the numbers come from, the, the ridiculous shit that he does with in order to get those numbers. Yeah, he's yep. miles ahead of anyone, but I watched some highlights of Maradona Mexico 86 the other day. Yeah, and you could not make that kind of compilation for Messi here, for example. Messi, no, for sure. Yeah. And this is—I mean, this is obviously old Messi. Of course, he's not as good as yeah. Pete Maradona, but Maradona at the '86 World Cup feels like the best that anyone has ever played football. Individual performance in my lifetime. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that's and right. And that's no, the no, not just, not just got, in a tournament. Yeah. Not just in a tournament. The highest level of football that has ever yeah. been played. And watching it just as a 43-year-old, I actually found it more shot, more wow than I did when I was seven. Because when I was seven, yeah. that was the, Maradona was the only best player in the world that I'd ever known. So I just thought that the way Maradona played was the way the best player in the world is able to play sometimes. And I, I was probably in my 20s, like an original Ronaldo, before, when I realised that this was never going to happen again. Like someone who yeah. could get the ball in a World Cup quarterfinal or semifinal and run around everyone on the other team. 
like yep. he was in the playground. But only Mar- only Maradona's done that and ever done that to that. Yeah, well, and, and in this World Cup, Messi has taken a lot of the plaudits, of course, but but his involvement in the game is almost non-existent. I saw some stats, which was kind of funny that he he's the highest walker at the tournament. <laughs> like, so he keeps, he's the top of the stats for walking. So I think he walked 7.1 kilometers during the World Cup final, which is uh, pretty impressive. Yeah. So he just doesn't do anything until the ball's at his feet and he doesn't play with space anymore. Um, and the the reason he had to beat Gvardiol three times was because he didn't have the pace to get around him and so he had to use the balance right but he did what he needed to do doesn't have the pace that's it he did what he needed to do when he needed to do it in this world cup and yeah that it was just enough it was just just enough yeah it was it was it was just enough and i mean yeah you can't i mean i I was actually quite ambivalent about whether he won it or not i didn't i didn't want france to win it again because yeah for a team to do that they should have to be as good as Spain were when they won three games. Yeah, exactly. In a row. Yeah, even though I didn't particularly enjoy that, watching yeah. Spain, you can't compare like that, that Spain team would absolutely annihilate this France team almost every time yeah. they played because that's how much better they are than them, and also yeah. just the hardest ever international team to beat. Yeah, yeah. Because you just yeah. can't get the ball. But so I, 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 I agree. There's, there's too many flaws just, in this France. Team, it just didn't yeah. seem right that they would win two tournaments in a row. Yeah. Deschamps would win two, two, two tournaments yeah, yeah, in a row. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly that as well. I, I feel also, like the more often the Deschamps. World Cup can go out of Europe, probably the better as well in general. That's a good break into talking about like the legacy of this World Cup, I guess, because, I mean, unless you've got more to say about the, the game, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I feel like that's been covered on every other podcast uh, <laughs> I've listened to since the game. Um, what do you mean? But... I have prepared... I've prepared some points. You've prepared that, detailed that, notes that on the I game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not. I was disappointed Lissandro Martinez didn't get on the field. I mean, no, he, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I don't have much more to say about this game either. Yeah, but exactly that is, yeah, baffling that he didn't get, he didn't get on the pitch. But I guess, I mean, the idea now that these people, you've either won a World Cup or you've lost the World Cup, and right. See if a forest at home on the twenty seventh of December to go yeah, back to bonkers, like yeah. the height of an English winter. Like yeah. you can't go out and go out for a month after yeah, you win yeah. the World Cup is is disgraceful. Like it's like makes me feel quite. It's just it's quite, I find it quite angry inducing. The party that they <laughs> the party that they've been denied that isn't happening in the world that would make the world a better place is not happening because they'll get to right. go back to Buenos Aires presumably. So he won't play that first game, and then he'll probably have to play like won't play Burnley. Obviously, won't play Forest. I don't think then... we'll see him this this year. To Do be you honest. think? I mean, no, the, well, the the guys who got knocked out in the quarterfinals. So what? When was that? Ten days ago. They all got a week like off, that. didn't they? They they're coming back to training today, Monday the nineteenth. I so... thought. Yeah, I thought everyone got. I thought you. Everyone got a week off. Er- Ericsson was back before Bruno. Was, so I thought I read that Bruno training. was back last week. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe I thought they were all coming back today. I reckon but, uh, that I thought I, I was expecting to see almost a full strength team against Burnley because it's only we'll Varane and Martinez. I can't, I, if, if I, I, if I was calling it, I'd say it'd be a surprise if it was. But, I thought yeah. that everyone else was available and has been has been training since last week. So they would have a week, mm. a week training. But I mean, Burn, it's one of those rare occasions, actually, where a home draw against the team in the division below is probably the kind of draw that you want. 
Yeah, it is. I mean, I agree with you on like how brutal this is on, well, for, for many reasons, obviously. I mean, brutal. I mean, there are more brutal things than there that, yeah, that yeah. this World yeah. Cup has to I, 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 use, I use the right words here, but <laughs> yes, it, it is unfair on the winners that they will have to go back to their club football very shortly. I mean, for sure that's unfair and they should be able to lord it wherever the hell they want to hang out for the next six weeks or so and then go back to football. But yeah, it's not going to happen. I mean, the European club season pretty much starts again straight away. They get a bit of time in Germany. I think they don't start until the new year. But it, but it is unfair. But, you know, like I know we covered it on every pod that we've talked about, but I, I do think thinking about the legacy of Qatar is worthwhile. And I've changed as, as the tournament's gone on. My opinion has changed, not on how, how wrong it is for the World Cup to have been in Qatar because of the human rights abuses, because of the dead migrant workers, because of the... The the whataboutism that FIFA and Qatar have very well played, or or, or any of that kind of stuff, and, and we've talked about that a lot. But but I do think, as, as you mentioned there, it it being in the Middle East with access to better access for people coming from Morocco and Tunisia and supporting other Asian teams that has been a very different flavor and it is a world cup and and it should be around oh, it's the massively world, right? it's massively well yeah 100% no, yeah. there were really good and, aspects of of the fact that it was where it was where it was yeah, yeah. Can't I, I, I just wish it had been aspects. in a country that didn't have thousands of dead workers as a result that's, the price that's, that's, that's paid. the problem yeah. is yeah it, it, it is exactly that. You want the World Cup to be in as many different places as possible, bringing as many accessible to as many people around the world. Because you're seeing it with the Olympics as well, that they become such massive events that hardly anywhere really has got the infrastructure to, to, to stage them anymore. And what's going to happen is it's just going to keep being in the same places. And, and, you, and you don't really want that. You want, you want the, like, There's a question about whether it's good to take the game somewhere that the game isn't to try and evangelize but it like i don't that there is also something about you have the world cup in a more traditional football country and sure. that's that that's better that argument has been made of course about evangelizing it i, I don't know that that's actually yeah I, I just, i'm thinking about true, the 94 but, the 94 world yeah. cup relative to 1990 like there was just even watching at home, there was a massive difference in the intensity of it all because absolutely because because it was it was in Italy, not in not in USA. But yep, and the, and I don't know that the '94 World Cup really did much to. I mean, nearly thirty years later, is is football that important in America? I mean, I I'm here watching the coverage as Argentina won. They cut off coverage on Fox to go to a regular season NFL game. <laughs> Some, I was in Mexico <laughs> you know, so. for the final of Euro 2000 and it was the election day and we were in a bar and I was watching the thing and they wouldn't serve any booze because they don't serve booze on election day in Mexico because there, were his, there was history of people getting excited. So, okay, so we're in the pub, we can't drink and we're watching the final of Euro 2000 and then it gets to extra time and the TV cuts out because they're announcing the election results. And the law is that everywhere on television has to show them announcing the election results at that time. So, yeah, that is... Don't 
stage your elections if you happen to think that there might be the final <laughs> of a football tournament on another continent yeah. that a couple of people might want to watch in your bar. That is the moral of well, that story. One thing I would say about, I mean, the US coverage has been horrendous. It's a paid advert for Qatar with all these slick adverts in between at halftime and before games. Horrendous commentary and punditry. It's just like shockingly bad overall. And, and if you want to look at a case study in sports washing, that's it. Right, they paid for a month-long advert on the largest channel. Yeah. What they did get is huge numbers of people watching. So if you add Fox plus Telemundo, which is Spanish coverage, which was much better. I barely understand a word of it, but I can just kind of instinctively tell it's it's got proper proper pundits and stuff on it. They, they're getting more than forty million people watching some of these games. So you know that that's a mark of the sort of penetration that it has made into. An expansion market, I guess if you I want to call say, it that. So. Yeah, anecdotally, I guess I see it just the things that I follow on Twitter, like whether it's Slate or The New Yorker or The Atlantic, yeah. and they've got people writing stuff <laughs> about football there. Yeah, so, yeah. And the fact that if those places are publishing football, then, yeah, that tells... There it seems more to cultural be, resonance. Yeah, like yeah. there seems to be... It's probably not necessarily as big. It's not like a cultural thing because there are just so many other sports that are ahead of it in terms of big kind of national culture. But there are a lot, a hell of a lot of people that like football and follow English football and Spanish football and all the rest of yep. it in, in, in America, for sure. Yeah. So, and, I mean, the, the World Cup will be here in Mexico and Canada in four years' time. It's, it's going to be a very different World Cup. I end up having this debate with people on on the internet which is never the best place for nuanced debates about geopolitics but it's there's a different reason why it's going to end up here but i wonder whether the coverage will take not a similar tone but an equally sort of critical tone of u.s foreign policy mexican homophobia i don't can't think of anything bad to say about canada they're just all nice aren't they and as as some cover, media coverage has done about qatar and it's really only english and european media because there's not been a lot of criticism of qatar as a country here in the u.s media and, you know, i wonder i wonder whether we'll get a more intelligent like view of the world of football and geopolitics now or whether we'll revert to type i don't in, think there'll be in, much forensic time. assessment mm-hmm. of US politics. I'd be quite surprised if that happened. I'd be extremely surprised if that happened. And one one of the reasons is, of course, it's not an autocracy that is using this to wash its reputation. This would be about money in the US. I mean, it's it's, just a a transactional economy. So, yeah, it's a different kind of immorality, whatever you want to say. Whatever you like, yeah. Like there are different types of discrimination that go on in the US, and very much so. Yeah. In uh, yeah, I mean. It's it's just so hard. We're not going to write an essay about this and start and start pulling the things out. But yeah, like it, it yeah, Ugh. yeah. No, no. But but it's all. I, I mean, it factors into what is the World Cup and why does it happen and what is it used for and and over the past month we've seen I think the Qataris get most of what they wanted right now a lot of critical coverage to start with I don't think that's been sustained and I think the the images and the matchups that FIFA and Qatar really wanted happened and they'll come out of this having had quote-unquote the best World Cup ever in these fabulous shiny stadiums so much of what they wanted to to achieve geopolitically or or in media it worked right well we said from the uh, beginning football almost always wins that's why yeah. that's why they're betting on football because football does this 
Right. And right. And it, it went well, like for them. They got Messi getting his moment in front of everyone in a final that was a classic in terms of excitement and yep. that that you could definitely legitimately call the classic. And people yep. would say, Yeah, it was like they got the great happenings that they wanted. Infantino saying it was the greatest group stages ever. And yeah. I guess yeah, yeah. the last round of group matches was really dramatic. Again, yep. like there wasn't a lot of, it wasn't the, the sound of the play wasn't wasn't great in all of them, but they 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 got the and that's the thing that football is is it's this kind of semi manufactured drama now drama yeah where yeah. there's almost and it still manages to subvert that drama and that's yeah. that's that's why it's amazing and well, and that's, well, that's why right. and, and, and that's what that's why people that's why bad people are investing in football some bad people as you say you mentioned the American World Cup will be more about money and corporations and that and that's more. That's more the American interest in football in general. Yep. Oh no, for sure. And and connecting the two thoughts of expanding the world's game through the World Cup beyond 26, 2030 hasn't hasn't been voted on yet, and it'll be interesting what happens next because there aren't too many more expansion countries. I mean, it's not it's not going to go to China or India, who, who would be the big expansion markets. So I think it seems to be the real question: like, do do the Saudis? How confident are they feeling about their place in the world, and and do they want that World Cup? Because there's been some talk about that. It would or be would very it go hard to a them. joint bid between Argentina, Paraguay, and Peru. I think it is. If I'm, I can't remember. Well, like, that is definitely Messi's Messi conflicted. Is yeah. oh, very much so, very yeah. conflicted there now. But conflicted. He's paid by the Qataris, the Saudis, and and he's the national icon for Argentina. So, but I guess we don't um, exactly know what the what the Qatari, what the purpose of Qatar doing the World Cup is for them. As in, we call it sports washing. I don't know if that's what, like, to me, it feels like more of a play for fi- more financial power and c- control power play. I think it's geopolitics. I think it's understanding yeah. that they are the, so in, in, in Saudi Arabia, there is apparently, I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on, on Middle Eastern politics, but there is apparently a kind of common joke about the Qataris that they are, they, they are, what, what was it? I was reading it. They're a fart, right? They emit gas and it's a kind of joke about like they dismiss them. Right. And, and the, the history of Qataris, it's only like 70 years since independence and, and it's really only, 40 years since natural gas and oil wells were tapped and the country has become extremely rich, right? So a lot of this is about their place in the world and feeling secure. And also to say, hey, we are here. Look at us. We're important. And you see all the world leaders over there as as part of this World Cup. And and so that's the soft power. There's the real power in making sure that right. the and, Saudis and, and, don't and walk that... into Doha, right? Which right. they could do at any but point. I'm saying it's much and more... And then there's the business and commercial thing. So I'm so. saying it seems much more those two things than because we, Washing su- because we serve you but... good football, you're forgetting yeah. about the human rights abuses. I sure. don't actually think that's the case. I think more people, it might even be the case that more people know about them as a consequence. It just doesn't matter because their position in the world is stronger and their connections and their alliances are stronger. Right. And their reputations are stronger as people not that don't mess about. And that probably... Right, I'm sure. Because the pure sports washing, burnishing a, rep- a poor reputation would have been helped if they'd let people have an armband because they'd have like gone, well, who cares, right? 
a rainbow armband. Who cares? We want to show we're inclusive and part of this world or let people have some beer, right? So in the end, the Qataris decided that their their power, absolute power over FIFA, and this is the first time FIFA's ever been controlled, I think, by a host country, was was more important, right? And and but that side of things has worked for them. And and we'll see what happens with future World Cups. After twenty six, we know. Twenty thirty, the romantic one in South America or the the money and we know where fifa has normally decided on this thing and it's not an open vote it's the exco or whatever they call it these days that decides and and it's open to deep abuse as we know <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So. yeah so yeah i mean it does it maybe i mean when when do they decide this i actually that's a good question i don't know i i think the campaigns are really only just ramping up now so it may be although they have to give them enough time to build the stuff don't they because qatar had 12 years russia had eight so and we're getting into 23 so maybe it's next year or the year after it's got it's got to be soon though hasn't it yeah but i'm i'm sure that the the people behind the world cup are delighted with how it went yeah and that that yeah, is I'm absolutely, and that yeah, is absolutely it's, yeah. it's that's 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 football yeah <laughs> and, well it cost the Qataris 220 odd million to billion sorry billion to stage this and it's made FIFA a bonus profit so everyone's delighted for sure yeah yeah good good that that great makes us all feel good about it doesn't it If you like the show, the way you can support us best is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And it really doesn't matter what you say in that review either. You can say you'd rather we talked about Manchester City and Liverpool. Just hit those five stars. Many thanks. We've got Burnley and then Forest. <laughs> Going back I, to the real world. It's insane, I, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, but I'm so ready for it. It's 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 a funny thing actually because I'm in this position. I'm going. I'm not going. I'm going. I'm going away. And I had previously thought that we were flying during the Burnley game, but we're not. And I Joy. can't decide if I'm pleased that I'm going to get to see the game on holiday, and that on the first night of holiday, I'm going to have the how do I. At what point do I let it be known? Announce that. <laughs> no, you would not like to go out to dinner. You're quite, no, no, you're quite no, looking no, forward no, to Burnley no, in the no, FL Cup. There's, there's, a stretch, there's a stretch of evening that is kind of spoken for already. And <laughs> so would I have preferred it if the game was while I was flying to avoid the, that inevitable situation? I don't know. But yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I can't wait to watch United play again. I have no idea what the team's going to be. I guess it depends on how many days training everyone's had. I'd be really surprised if too many of the World Cup players were involved. But but I could be totally wrong about that. The idea that we could lose a cup quarterfinal to Vincent Kompany's Burnley <laughs> actually <laughs> make like that that's Al Trafford. Like that's totally unacceptable. And so they had better make sure that, that doesn't happen, is all I can say. No. Yeah, I think there's going to be quite a lot of undercooked players, no matter what the makeup is, because they had those two pointless friendlies where they just changed everyone to play twenty odd players in each game. The players that didn't go. A lot of kids. So and so then, because I, I said earlier, I'm going to contradict myself already, perhaps that maybe you actually want a team that has had even more players than you at the World Cup. Maybe that is the ideal. 
um, rather yeah. than a team in the division below. I don't know, but yeah, the t- the players that haven't played, that haven't been to the World Cup, are going to are going to need some football very quickly. So it's actually quite helpful to have this game. But well, I, that's right. I mean, I, I'm a, Dave will play. I imagine. I imagine we'll see Aaron Wan-Bissaka. We're, we're going to see Victor Lindelof. I, I don't know I who's, who's going to play alongside. I don't know. I was expecting to see the players whose teams got into the quarterfinals as well. If yeah, we'll see. Because I thought they came back. I thought they had the quarterfinals were two weekends ago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like nine days or something like that. Yeah, yeah. so they had, a, they had a week off and then they came back. But so they'd have a week's training before this game. So I, I but because also you, if some of them, they're just going to want to play on there at this point, like so the ones that are match fit, why am I like, if, why, like if Bruno's come back to Manchester and he's been in Manchester since last week, why is, I can't believe he's not playing in this game. Yeah, well, no, I know. And it's not like a normal World Cup where you then go off on holiday after a long season. They're, they are less than halfway through the season. So it's not as if they need a, some mega rest. The, I don't know what the, emotional toll is are players able to switch out of one mode of thinking into another can they really be up for Burnley at home in the EFL Cup in the way same way they were for a World Cup quarterfinal I'd say some of them probably quite pissed off though because it didn't go how they wanted and then I imagine that in that situation you want to get back on the pitch as soon as possible yep especially if you if if you're fit and as you say it's not at the end of the season I would imagine Rafa Varane back on his horse straight away. He, I mean, he might not want to. He, he might, he might, <laughs> he might fancy. He, I don't know because, yeah, that that must be a very significant disappointment for someone who is not fit that often. I don't know, but I would imagine Bruno and Rashford probably just want to get on the pitch because otherwise yeah. they're just pissed off with the thing that they've got to be pissed off about. So something new to focus on for those kind of. I think they. I don't know. Yeah, people. That are, Winners, I think we, I think, yeah, hard to get in that mindset of just give me the next thing rather than let me just never yeah. do anything ever again. And and then the, the upcoming Premier League games, Forest and Wolves. I mean, they're pretty, pretty important. I mean, it's not like United can switch off and and these are somehow warm up games. We're back into the middle of the season, and every point really counts. Got to, got to chase down the the mighty side. It didn't, come, it didn't and, come. It didn't come at a good time for us. The break, particularly. That we were play- we were playing quite well. We didn't need any particular disturbance. Martial was coming back. He's now got some. It must be about to do an injury. But yeah, it was because the team was starting to look good and play some good football. And now they've just got to start all that again. But I, th- I think I think we'll finish in the top four. I don't want them to buy the wrong striker in January. But this kind of surely then like you think they can't buy anyone because they are getting sold. Or are they so confident they're selling it for a load of money they don't mind spending some now? I don't know. Yeah, well, it's it's a very good question. I mean, it's not cash that they can actually take out either. I mean, they, there isn't any cash in the bank, so if United buy anyone, it'll be on the tick, basically, what, as most transfers are anyway. But they're now like what was what, what whatever they were paying Ronaldo is now available. It's now available. Yeah. The cash to actually spend on a striker doesn't exist, but then it didn't exist in the summer either. We now know that they spent it all on a credit card. The football equivalent of, if, yeah. And in that situation, if they were to just say, here's here's a striker, what would it doesn't feel like it would make very much difference. But, I mean, obviously the assumption is that United won't buy anyone. Yeah, or it'll be a short-term 
Odi Nagalo type but I'd... loan deal. Like I couldn't I couldn't even pick a name for whether that'd be, and I don't even know if that'd be useful. I mean, it, I don't think it would be unless Martial goes down injured again, which I guess it's. I don't think it's that quite it's possible. That they're at the point now. So when they got Cavani, Cavani came into a team that was almost there. He mm-hmm. was just another option, but Ole's team was like the the front three was kind of there. Didn't work out, but this team. It feels like I don't want them to go and get a stopgap because I want them to find the right bloke to play centre forward for the next few years. And getting someone else in the way is actually annoying. That kind of Igalo Cavani signing is what is good to have when you're sort of already there. But otherwise, you yeah. don't want your best striker to be the wrong person. United's best striker next season needs to be the bloke that's going to be playing centre forward. And I don't want them to bust unnecessary money that we can't then spend on... Because next summer, the first thing I would do is I would spend whatever it took to get the right forwards. And if there's nothing else left, there's nothing else left. Despite the fact that maybe I want a goalkeeper, maybe I want another midfield player. Like You have to just get whoever the right striker is has to be has to be got next summer. Um, talking to goalkeepers, there's uh, fairly predictable links with Emil Martinez coming out in some of the, the press this, this morning. I mean, I have to say, I didn't very much like his antics when he uh, put Bruno off that time when he was suggesting that Ronaldo should take I the I can't decide what I think of him. I mean, it was peak shithousery this time round. I mean, when he got the ball off Chiumeni and threw it away. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just brilliant. And you could see it in Chiumeni's face as well. I just, I what knew that he team needed he is it. Jordan Henderson, who the internet tells me is the world's leading elite most winningest penalty spot enforcer in the history <laughs> that's right of the as he's rolling the team now stand on the spot there follows a 733 tweet picture exposition of... yeah so you can't do that in a shootout so you can't you can't protect it so. and the image of martinez fucking his golden hand or thrusting with it i mean he just there's, While he's the one of those goalkeepers. On. <laughs> he's just one of those the goalkeeper. One of those keepers you just know be good at saving penalties. Dodgy yeah, keepers yeah. in general, like Grobelar, Dudek, because if they weren't good at that kind of thing, they wouldn't be goalkeepers because they're not they're not reliable. But there's those yeah. kind of goalkeepers are just good at doing. That. I mean, the save Martinez made in the second half at the was, end from yeah was, yeah was, uh, was a was a, was yeah, a brilliant yeah. save, and I mean you can't. You can't take it away from him. You save penalties. The, the freeze frame of just the two of them is is incredible. And you think it's like ten seconds before the end of the game. So I, with with Martinez, it's not. I don't care about the antics in like the penalty shootout. If you can get away with that and the other person can get an advantage, I mean, I don't. I I, I, I wouldn't judge someone for that. I just it seems like I'm, it's more. I'm asking myself questions about his general demeanor of like if we ever happen yeah. to be in the same place. <laughs> what would you? What would you? What would you like to be around? Well, it's more that, and uh, I don't. I can't decide if he'd be amusing or or not. But as a character in a game of football, he's tremendous. Oh, it's it's great box office. Yeah, great entertainment. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, back back to the transfers thing. I I think by next summer, United will have been sold. They, yeah. I mean, uh, unless there is an interest, I think they've just the club have decided, or the Glazer family have decided they are going to sell. Ram Grant was at the World Cup, sounding out potential partners. I imagine Avram Grant <laughs> or Avram, Avram Grant, <laughs> Avram Glazer, Avram Glazer, all the same. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It'd be funny if Avram Grant was turned out to be a broker of some kind. No. I so, s- like, he was outside trying to sound out whatever billionaire or, or sheikh he can find to part with six or seven billion pounds. And so, I, I think United will end up being sold in the first quarter of 23. And so, the new owners will have that summer to make a big splash. So, I imagine United will spend quite a lot of money next summer. It's just guessing. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that does sound feasible that whoever it is is surely not i mean who knows what that they might just come in and not spend money but it's just hard to see how you're getting anything out of your investment without yeah. without assuming there's no super league which there isn't yeah yeah which there won't be now because because well we haven't had the final ruling but the the, the guidance is basically that uefa have autonomy over their own competitions so i don't we're not going to get super league there is no growth path there so you have to time you being. have to make the team better so you have to make the team better because that will increase your sponsorship exposure and, and no one coming in can have a look at what's happened to United over the last 15 years under the Glazers and go, yeah, we're going to get asset appreciation by penny pinching and deciding not to upgrade the swimming pool or getting a second rate chef. So anyway, anyway, I think I think connect the dots. We'll, we'll get some large amounts of spending next summer. Whether it will be good spending or not, we'll find out. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. seems... It, it seems like Ten Hag has done a pretty decent job this summer in buying players who are good, who have also improved the team and seen yep. seen that they can fit in a team that has all of the minutes. And I mean, you could argue that it didn't require that much skill to take the two best players from Ajax and Casemiro, but yes, <laughs> he he got it done, and it and it seems to be working quite nicely. So. I'm yep. sure that there are two or three other really good players out there who Ten Hag knows for sure are really good who would come and play for United probably. But obviously we're meant to have this whole operation that is meant to also do that. Yep. But well, that's uh, really not what happened the, last summer. The transfer window opens in 11 days' time. So we'll uh, we'll get to see what happens then. That's going to be fun, isn't it? All right, I, I, guess, I guess that's it. World Cup done. Burnley on Wednesday, top stuff. Nice. Please.